What is up, everyone? Welcome to Coaches to the Moon podcast. Today's episode is great for any coaches out there who are maybe at the stage in their business where they're hiring their first team members. Maybe a VA, a remote assistant, an editor, a sales leader, that sort of thing. And they're not quite sure how to be a leader in that role. Ben Brealy, my guest today, is a leadership coach, and he's got some great insights about how to actually get the best out of a team, handle conflict, and really reduce your own stress when you get into that position of a leader. We also had some great conversations about managing sleep and really the balance between discipline and forgiveness of yourself in business. So I love this conversation, guys. I hope you do too. Here's Ben Brealy. This is Coaches to the Moon. The only podcast you need to skyrocket your coaching business and create true impact on the world. Here's your host, Alex Morris. Welcome back to Coaches to the Moon podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting here today with Ben Brealy, the leadership coach from uh, Perth all the way over in WA, Western Australia. He's the founder of the Thoughtful Leader. He's helping leaders to build confidence and reduce their stress while getting the best out of their people. Ben, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, mate, for having me on. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. First kind of uh, specific leadership coach I've had on. I think a lot of, le- a lot of coaching okay. is about leadership, but for you to be there helping leaders lead is a really cool one because you probably see it in a different way than someone does on the inside. You're kind of getting that bird's eye view of someone's business, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, it's often, um, it can be corporate leaders or people leading their own businesses. So I've coached some startup founders and things like that as well. Um, but anything in the leadership space really, yeah, is, is where I target it. Yep. So what was your first leadership role? Uh, my first leadership role, well, that's a while back now. I think it was, it was a team leader role. I started off in software development. So I was a coder years ago and um, the, yeah, I was doing team leadership role for a software development team. Um, we were writing some sort of health software, I think, at the time. Okay. Yeah, so that was my first one. Yep. How long ago was that? Uh, about 16 years or so. Okay. And so were you yeah. in the team and then got promoted to leader or did you come in as a leader? I came, it was interesting because I came in and I said, at the time I was coming in as, you know, as a senior, senior programmer or something. Um, and I said in my interview, oh yeah, I'd like to progress to leadership positions. This was right at the start of my career, really. And, um, and they said on the first day I got there and they said, oh, how would you like to progress, you know, earlier than what you thought? <laughs> so because they had, they had a need for a team leader for some team that they had. So then I went, yeah, sure. And that was it. Oh, so, great. I was, so I was sort of new, but then I instantly became the team leader of that team. So, yeah. That's interesting because that sounds like that might actually be a better way of going about it. Because I don't know the corporate space very well, but I was in the hospitality space for a while and especially in a kitchen you're this tight knit you're all working together and what happened was I was working alongside these people as an apprentice and then one day I was promoted to sous chef and now I'm suddenly their boss now I'm suddenly in charge of people who I was on par with and that was a difficult relationship is there any way that you know you can recommend people manage that switch than when they're suddenly quote superior to the people they used to work alongside Mm. I think it's um well, hopefully, you know, in that in that initial time, you used to work alongside them, you build up some trust and good rapport, good relationship and those sorts of things. Um, and I think it's about making, I see it, it's a lot easier when you can still um, gain input from the team and 
actually collaborate rather than think, you know, oh, I've got to put my stamp on this situation now. I've got to be the boss now and I've got to order them around because that's my position now. And to some degree that's true, but there's certain ways to go about it. And I think you've got to be a bit sensitive of some of the, um, the reactions you'll get. Some people will be quite fine with it and other people may get, you know, bent out of shape because they're a bit upset about it. Well, what made you so good that you got promoted? Yeah. And I think it's just about treating them with respect. Um, still continuing to build that trust by asking for their feedback and all that sort of stuff, rather than just saying, we're going to do it my way now. Um, but then there's a point where I think you have to have maybe a hard direct conversation if that behavior is not changing and you're continuously getting pushback from those team members um, that, that have some sort of problem with it. So there's sort of, um, I think, I, I always give people the benefit of the doubt and give people a chance to adjust to the new situation. And then you've got to start having some, you know, maybe some challenging conversations if you're not seeing a shift there. Yeah. So when you say giving people a chance, I, I guess that would be a pretty um, blurry borders on giving someone a chance. What, what would you usually see? Say you've got a, a team member who's being a bit subordinate, a bit grouchy. For you personally, um, say I've come to you and said, you know, I need leadership help. I, I've got a, a new team member and they're just, you know, in this bad mood. They're not performing this month. How long should I give them before I kind of sit them down and give them a warning? Yeah, it's sort of, um, once again, it depends, right? So if you're working on things that are super critical and, you know, maybe lives are at stake or the performance of the team is suffering a, a lot because of it, then it might be sooner rather than later. Um, you've also got to have a look at, okay, what is the impact on the team? That is going on at the same time. So if this person is not performing and they've got a bad attitude, is that is that hurting other people in the team, mm. or is it sort of isolated? Because if it is hurting other people in the team, then really the longer you let that go, the worse it gets because you might get other people leaving and getting upset themselves because you're not doing anything about it. Uh, you also might be perceived as, well, I'm not I'm not taking action, therefore the leader's not doing anything. They're letting this person get away with murder, and that sets the sets the precedent for other people just to start you know, not performing as well. Right. So how long, so I think your original question was how long would you wait? Um, I think it depends, but it's sort of, uh, I'd start tackling the conversation fairly early in a sort of as curious a way as I can, trying to find out, okay, what's going on for them? Because I, I generally think there's almost, at, at no point have I seen someone who's causing a fuss in an organisation, and particularly in the corporate world, let's say, where, they're just, a, they're just a bad person. There's just about always something beneath it, behind it. Um, something went on at home. They're upset because they didn't get promoted. Um, someone else in the team is causing them a hard time, whatever it is. And if you can be a bit curious about that and try to dig into that a little bit, you, it's amazing what you can do to um, build some trust and then um, try to come up with a way that, that can help them through it as well. Because yeah, there's a bit of a default. It's, it's easy to default to, oh, that person's just a nasty person or, you know, a bad person. Um, and admittedly, you know, if someone's been in a bad situation for a lot of their life, yeah, they might have some bad behaviours going on. But usually I find, you know, there's, there's always a reason and a root cause behind behaviour. And if you can start to be a bit curious about that person rather than getting offended by what they're doing, mm. it can be a good way to build trust. Yeah. So what kind of questions would you use to open up that conversation with a team member who's maybe giving you a hard time? Yeah. So I think um, one thing to do is to, is to let them know that you noticed because mm. sometimes people 
act and they might be moody or badly behaved or whatever it is. And they are sort of on autopilot. And so they might not be so self-aware. So they might think, oh yeah, you know, they don't even really know they're doing it in some cases. <clears throat> they might not be intentionally being malicious. So one way to open it is, you know, if you have a regular conversation with them, you say, hey, look, yeah, I've noticed the last couple of days, you know, you've got a bit snappy and I noticed you, you know, having a go at, at Bob the other day or whatever it is. Um, you know, is there anything going on? You know, how can we, is there anything going on that you want to talk about or have you, are you having any troubles at the moment? And it does a couple of things. It, it sort of opens the question, uh, opens the door for them to respond to you. And, and you might get an answer back, which is quite, you know, um, quite strong. They might say, well, I didn't like how you did this and that. And that's, you know, possibility. Um, but it also shows that you're showing an interest. Mm. And the, the third thing it does is it shows that you've noticed so that they sort of, some people sort of snap out of it. Once they know the impact they're having around, around them, it can change their behavior because they go, oh, wow, you know, it's not, people are actually getting upset by what I'm doing. Yeah, some people, they would think they're being less obvious than they are, I guess. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, um, I've been out of the team environment for ages, to be honest. I, I've, so a lot of this stuff, I've, I've seen it happen and I'm kind of starting to notice it the more you bring these issues up, which is great. So were there any specific leadership I suppose, issues that you saw come up over and over again that made you think I need to go in and coach these people on how to lead better? Yeah, well, my story is a bit, um, it's, I didn't start off going, oh, I want to be a leadership coach, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up uh, doing a lot of consulting work for some of the big consulting companies. Um, so I got put into organizations which were quite tricky and big projects that um, had a lot of stress around them and people you know, people don't like consultants coming in because it's like, oh, you're either going to um, tell me what to do, even though I could do it myself, or you're going to cut headcount and make everyone redundant. But, you know, and that happens, right? So, <laughs> so you get a bit of a stigma around that. Yeah. But what it what it led me to see was when I was in that environment, especially the co- uh, consulting environment, just the different leadership styles going around. Saw some really excellent leadership. Saw some really poor leadership, um, and that really helped me to. Um, get a bit get a broad look at what what sort of challenges are going on and then during that time I started writing about leadership so this was about seven or eight years ago um, like blogging about it mm. just I had no ideas for what I'm going to do with this but I, I liked it because it was a way to get my thoughts um, out there it was also a way for me to process my thoughts oh I'm having trouble in this situation at work why is that and I would write about the situation in an anonymous way of course and then uh um, and look at, and it will help me process my thoughts that way. Um, so that's sort of how, how I got into the space um, at all. And then, yeah, that's when people started coming to me and say, you know, I gradually build a following and then people are going, I'm having this challenge and that challenge. So some of the things that I see commonly are, um, and, and, you know, my, my business is called Thoughtful Leader. So people who gravitate to me are sort of the people who, um, want to really help their people improve or they they like their leadership role because it helps them make a difference, you know, in a company that they care about. They're, they're not really, usually they're not really the huge career climbers. Mm. I mean, they can be. Um, and I do coach people that, that want to have, you know, want to achieve things in their career, but they're more people focused, I'd say, than, you know, than I want more money and I want prestige and I want power. Um, and so as a result, the people that I coach generally, time management's a huge one burnout, stress, working too much, 
putting themselves last and putting everyone else first. Mm. So I, I'll, I'll help everyone else, but I'm not helping myself. And then I'm the one who's stressed and struggling. Um, difficult conversations, huge one. Um, and avoiding difficult conversations. Um, that's another massive one. And then, they, like I mentioned before, um, confidence is huge. Um, getting people in a space where they feel more confident to lead their people um, in the right way. And to feel, and I think all it comes down to, people in these leadership roles, what I find is they, they really want to enjoy their leadership role a bit more as well. Yeah. R- rather than just feel like it's a big grind where, where they're always struggling with people and they don't feel confident. Um, sometimes, it, yeah, you just think, you know, you need to be able to enjoy it a little bit because otherwise you won't last very long potentially. Yeah, absolutely. That's It's really interesting the parallel you drew between your business, your personality and the kind of people you attract in because yeah. I can imagine that if your business was not called the thoughtful leader and it was called million dollar, million dollar leader or, you know, yeah. bullet, bulletproof sales force, that kind of thing, you get in the very exactly. different kind of guy <laughs> with a very wide tie knot and, uh, you know, I need to increase my bottom line today, that kind of thing. So yeah. really cool. So so leadership coming from not a softer stance, but maybe a less tangible, maybe a less tangible stance. Like it's not just about let's grow your numbers. It's like, let's grow your confidence. Let's make the team happier. And what sort of, um, what sort of results are you seeing from these companies once you've gone in and you've helped that, that side of their, their leadership? So my what I I generally get a lot of individual clients actually. So okay. I do I do some corporate work, but the majority of my stuff um, comes yeah through my online or through my website. Um, so they're individual leaders sometimes who are just you know uh, signing up with me um, off their own bat. Mm. Um, and in terms of what I see from them, like and it's like you're saying, some of it is a bit less tangible, um, in t- because there's like well you know building confidence. Okay, how do you measure that? That's quite hard. Um, but it's really about what I do see is people who start to take action um, where they weren't before. So people who start to um, push back on people at work, have difficult conversations, feel more comfortable about having confrontation at work um, or dealing with a problematic team member, those sorts of things. That's where I start to see people and I can see that shift in them. Um, but I've always been a big believer as well in that, you know, even though it's sort of, um, you know, I'm not really focusing on bottom line and then the clients I have aren't really focusing on that generally as exclusive thing, but performance is important. I mean, you're in a leadership role to perform in some way, otherwise mm. you wouldn't, you wouldn't be in there and you, your team has to perform in some way. But the good thing is the better you treat your people in general, the better they perform and the better results you'll get. And so that's where um, it may seem like, oh, you know, what is it? What do you call it? Um, million dollar dollar lead or whatever um yeah it's not that i think the outcome the outcome is important because i do see leaders go in and actually build their teams experience less conflict um and experience better results that way um without focusing on that end outcome and it's funny i I feel like that's almost like the online game as well you focus on oh i'm going to look at my my website traffic every day that's not really helping you get more website traffic or that sort of thing. So it's almost like I f- you focus on yourself, your own attitude, um, how you deal with people and your sort of own well-being and um, get your, get yourself sorted out that way. And then that can improve your, the way you work with your team, which can produce the actual result you're after. Yeah. Seems like much more of a long-term goal, which is great. It's kind of 
not that it doesn't have short-term benefits, but it feels like everything you're doing will still be in place and improving performance one, two years down the track. Whereas if you came in, fired a whole bunch of people and then did some and changed the logo and did some things to, you know, raise the bottom line immediately, that can be pretty fleeting. It can be really up and down. So yeah, what, what do you think it's about, true. go ahead. So it's interesting you say that because um, some, sometimes the coaching clients obviously have, you know, longer goals. Like I want to be more confident. I want to do this and that with my career and all those sorts of things. Um, and other times it's like, oh, I'm having this specific thing going on at work right now. I really need to talk about it and work through it. And so that's, you know, that's sort of more of a short-term target we set there to try to improve things. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's, um, yeah, it's a, I, I'm almost of the view that if you can improve your leadership in general, the way you work with people, the thoughtfulness, let's say, the way you consider people around you and how you work with your teams and colleagues and your boss and all that sort of stuff, and if you can improve your confidence and all those sorts of things, whatever the actual content of leadership is, you know, okay, if you're in a sales team or you're in a you're in a hospital, I don't, I almost don't care because this will set you up for success, um, no matter what industry you're in if yeah. you can actually improve your leadership and, and work better with the people around you. Transferable skills that mm. kind of affect you as a person in your core rather than just how yeah. you perform in that one specific role. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's interesting, man, because so much of the kind of business coaching world, we would be told niche down, you know, I help this kind of person and then mm. niche down again, you know, but for you, you're, you're actually creating this beautiful business off of helping people across a broad range of topics, a broad range of industries, which is very, very cool. So I'd love to bring yeah. it back to the, the coaching industry, actually, because sure. um, a lot of coaches listening to this, uh, like myself, maybe like yourself, will only really have a team of one or two people, maybe a couple yep. of virtual assistants, maybe um, a, a sales team, that sort of thing. Um, what do you think is the best way to kind of, keep the motivation going in a very, very small team where maybe the, the leader still has to, you know, have a lot of control over every aspect. When do you think you need to let go more control to get people more, more motivated or is there a different technique completely? Um, that's a good question. So, well, for me, I guess in my experience, I'm very, let's call it intrinsically or internally motivated to keep doing what I do, mm -hmm. but it's based on what I know the outcomes are for my clients and what I'm trying to do to help people. So I figured out a long time ago, well, actually not too long ago, I guess, probably a couple of years when I branched out into coaching more on a full-time basis was because um, I was working, working full-time in leadership roles. And then I would coach before or after work um, with clients as well. Mm. And so um <clears throat> now that I've gone full-time, what I, what I realized at the time when I was in my leadership career was I liked certain bits of it. Like I like the people development aspect. I really like enabling people to do their best work um, and to reduce, you know, remove roadblocks from them and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't really care. It's interesting. I didn't really care about the goal itself. Like um, it wasn't motivating for me. Like oh, if we finish a project and do this and do that, I was like, yeah, that's cool. But I'm more interested in how this team member really grew and became way better at their role and became really more confident. And that's what really made me feel good. So that's when I went, you know what? Let's um, let's jump into coaching more of a full-time basis and do more mm -hmm. leadership development work. Um, the reason I'm saying this, it sounds like a bit of a tangent, is 
identifying that is really important. Like, what are you doing it for? Mm. Um, why, are you, why are you doing it every day? Because I know for myself, if I, if I try to do something that I'm just not going, not that into, it'll last a little while. And then I'll just, um, particularly a consistent thing. Like if you're doing podcasting like yourself um, or writing blog posts or whatever it is on a consistent basis, you need to keep doing it every week. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll soon struggle, I think, if you don't really enjoy it um, and, and understand what you're getting out of it and what your core motivation is. So I guess in a small team, yeah, it's really important that you link it to the purpose of what your business is. Like what are you actually trying to do? Um, can you observe that as well? Like what are you seeing out there when you do your work? Are you seeing the results? Like one thing I do is I keep, um, I keep like a, let's call it a feedback register where I, um, people send me emails and say, I really like this article. Or I love this podcast. I really thanks that coaching session was amazing. We did this stuff and I will save all that feedback in, a, in just um, I use Evernote just to save my notes and I'll save all that so that when I'm having a bit of a motivation slump, I'll go, oh, okay, let's, um, let's have a look at this big list of things that I've tagged that are good feedback. And, you know, just give myself a bit of a, a bit of a boost. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's as simple as that for me. If I didn't really enjoy the purpose or didn't understand the purpose of what I was trying to do, then I would struggle with motivation, I think, because it's, yeah, it's just a never ending, you know, never ending cycle. You keep having to go with it. I hope that answers your question. Well, it answers a question. And it, it's, this whole thing <laughs> is about, um, you know, bringing your thoughts and your expertise on this topic so yeah it's uh it's a really good little tip actually <laughs> giving yourself little um nuggets of good feedback every now and then it's very very easy to focus on the the problems in your life right then you know so yeah giving yourself these little reminders that you've done well because we never do that you, you you're much more likely to give other people reminders of how well they're doing than yourself right yeah, so. and it's all this, um, you know, the, the trend these days, gratitude journaling, all those sorts of things. Um, that's, you know, that's real stuff. And that's mm -hmm. just about getting into a habit and getting and creating a practice of doing that stuff. Because what it's interesting, you know, you get you get very good at what you practice doing. Yeah. Um, so over time, we focus on the negatives all the time. You're really good at that. You'll find the negatives really easily. We don't practice focusing on the positives as much. So if you can incorporate some sort of habit or routine in your life where you are gradually, you know, keeping focusing on the positives every day, then you'll, your mind will eventually start to pick up those things more easily. So as an example, I've got a notify, I've got an app on my phone called, uh, I think it's called randomly remind me. And I go and every, uh, between, you know, 9am, 5pm, it'll send me three different reminders or three reminders at some point during the day. So I don't know when it's going to be. And it'll come up on my, on my watch and, I, and it will say like, um, what did you enjoy in the last 10 minutes? Oh. And I'll go, all right. And then I'll go, all right. Um, and I'll, I'll stop and think about it. Sometimes I'm too busy and I have to, you know, I'll skip them. But other times I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, I enjoyed that conversation I had with, um, with Jenny down the hall or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, just these little things to keep myself prompted and to, to institute that practice of continually um, in noticing some of the positive things. What a brilliant idea. Randomly remind me. Is what yeah, that's said. what the app's called. Yeah. That is you so cool. It's got all these different configuration settings where you can you know, remind you at any given time. Different. You can have a library of reminder messages, all different stuff, but I've only, mine's very simple. I don't overcook it. I like the randomness of it. I like the randomness of it because a lot of the coaching industry would say, you know, 
you got to get up at 5 a.m. and do an hour of gratitude journaling and morning rituals and meditation and then some push-ups and then a cold shower and then a healthy breakfast and take a photo of it and then read a book and then you're ready for work. <laughs> take a photo do, of it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't do that, then you're going to fail as a coach. Yeah. You, you're not. But, I mean, honestly, man, like I've got twin babies. When am I going to do all that? I don't have a routine. So a random reminder yeah. for the other day is going to be fantastic. Well, it's interesting you say the 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 the, the oh the five a.m. Now I've heard I've heard a lot of people on podcasts. Oh, I get up at four a.m. and I do this, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, when do you go to bed then? Yeah. Because because one thing I've started doing in the last year or so is really focusing on my sleep, yeah. getting more sleep. Um, I did a bunch of research about it and certain podcasts and things around sleep, and I went, oh wow, because I've been I've been skimping on it for the last you know probably five years because I was trying to build up my own thoughtful leader stuff while I was working full-time I would get up at 5 a.m do an hour and a half of stuff then I'd go do my day job um and so but then what you're shrinking there is the sleep yeah and now that I'm now that I'm you know doing this as my full business it's like you know what I can have some sleep now and I need to focus on that so yeah I've almost gone the other way I'd love to know these people who get up at 4 a.m are they actually do they need to do they need to do it or are they doing it for the clout and the Instagram and to be able to say, I get up at four. Why don't you get up at four? Because I mean, like Dwayne, the rock Johnson, you know, <laughs> this guy, 300 million Instagram followers or whatever. And he gets up at 4am and works out twice, but he's the most famous movie star in the world. That sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. And he's probably, he probably fills up every hour of his day with stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> but if you're getting up at four, are you just proving your point? Like, I, I think a lot of the coaching space, and I love them to bits, I work with them, uh, would not say something as mature as you just said, I need to get more sleep. <laughs> oh, it's How's a it killer, working out like, The more research I've done on it, the more I realize how you are you know, screwing yourself over, depriving yourself of sleep. And that's not to say we can always get great sleep. You know, you've got kids and they're waking you up at random times, all this sort of stuff. You can't control that stuff. But you've just got to, you know, in my opinion, and based on the research I've, I've seen, you've, you've got to give yourself the opportunity to get a good sleep. Sure, mm. it might be interrupted, but you can't do everything about that. Uh, it, is, it is helping me de definitely because I, um, a couple of, about a year or two ago, I did some blood tests just for, you know, random health check stuff. Got a few borderline results in some of my levels and they weren't like super low, but I was like, mm, I don't like where that's going. Yeah. And, and the doctor said to me, you know, one of the common ways, uh, common reasons for that sort of result is, you know, you're not getting enough sleep. Mm. And I went, all right, cool. Let's fix that then. Um, and my results went back up over a period of months to normal ranges. Um, that's when I sort of, it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it's a massive health scare. I wasn't in mortal danger, but I still, I thought, oh, here we go. I, I don't want to get this trend where my health is declining to the point where um, I have to take medication for the rest of my life and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. So, and you're, you're a young man, you know, that, that stuff compounding over many, many years, you know, that can really mess you up. Definitely. So you don't need a major health scare. It's um, I think you're right. You know, control the controllable about when you go to bed, give yourself those routines. Like, yeah, my daughters might wake me up a couple of times overnight, but last night I went to bed at, 8 45 because I, I was already knackered and i i was i wasn't being productive i was watching tv i was like i might as well go to sleep but the night yeah. before i've been up doing filming a youtube video until about 11 and then we had the worst night ever so i got about four hours of sleep 
Whereas I could have had seven if I'd gone to bed three hours early, you know, uh, yeah. instead of that one more Netflix episode or whatever. It's, um, yeah, it's I, a killer. I and think, that thing where it just goes next episode and you just go, oh, yeah, sure, I'll let it run. Oh, are, you, are you still <laughs> watching? <laughs> yeah, yes, Netflix, I'm still watching, <laughs> snarky bastard. Yeah, I think, you know, I brought you on here to talk about leadership, but I think coaches <laughs> need to absolutely glorify rest and sleep a lot more. I dare say the corporate space or just the high performance space is mm. starting to accept rest a little more, would you say? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, there's a lot more around there about well-being and those sorts of things. And there's well-being programs. And uh, the other one I was talking to someone about recently was psychological safety, creating mm. an environment. And But they the, the, the challenge with the corporate space is they often become um, buzzwords and programs where you go, we're going to run this well-being program and it's going to fix all the problems and we don't have to worry about it anymore yeah. as a thing. Um, and in reality, you know, there's more to it than that, um, than just sort of tick the box exercise. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, I find in the coaching space, right, if I'm coaching someone and I'm tired uh, or I'm stressed or I'm anxious or whatever it is, I'm thinking about other stuff, uh, it's a nightmare because I'm not present <laughs> with them and I can't give them my best, you know, best coaching yeah. and I'm doing them a disservice basically. So that's part of the reason also I want to be dependable for my clients and so that they can rely on me so that they know I'm attentive and I'm giving them my full attention. Um, Cause I have coached before when I have, you know, when I was first starting out and I'd go, Oh, well, let's do a late night coaching session because, um, yeah. because I'm working all day anyway. And it's, it's challenging and, I'll, and you're not giving it your best in my, in my experience anyway. So I think it's important to, to be able to put yourself in a position to show up the best way you can. Absolutely. I think, I think that's where a lot of, a lot of the personal development stuff does come from a good place as in, you know, so you can give, you know, your business and your clients the best. I just feel like it's flipped over a little bit in some niches to the point where if you're not doing all this stuff, then yeah. you're just never going to make it because uh, how would you post about it on Instagram? What kind of brand would you have if you didn't, you know, if you didn't yeah. do 800 push-ups every morning on a, on a rock. So um, well, it's, it's the, um, I think the, um, the thing I like is, uh, you know how I've seen people, oh, you should do five minutes of this a day and five minutes of this and two minutes of that. And I think, okay, if I do all these things, I'm not going to have time to do anything else because I've got all these minutes a day, which are adding up to hours a day of what I have to do. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a challenge, you know. I subscribe to that. I think there'll be a lot of people out there disagreeing with us, you know, just do more, just fit more in, fit more in. And, it, you know, I like that philosophy as well, but I think everyone's going to be aware of what they're like. And that's where your job comes in is being a one-to-one coach is realizing what does this person need? Because some people might just yeah. need a kick in the ass saying, do more. And some people might think they need to do more, but actually need to do less. And yeah. it's a very interesting one. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just kind of accepting the fact that, you know, my life and business is moving along at the pace that it can when you have two children under two, you know, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm accepting yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. First I didn't accept it very well. And now I am. And, you know, there's a little bit of self-forgiveness there's a balance. It has to be a balance. I think, and there must've been this with you when you were building your business and working full time, there must be a little bit of balance between discipline to keep moving forwards and forgiveness to realize that you can't do everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A hundred percent. 
I think, yeah, and it comes to the leaders I coach as well. It's like sometimes you just got to give yourself a bit of a break. Mm. You're, you know, you're dealing with, okay, you're dealing with COVID. Everyone's suddenly working remotely. Um, you have to manage a remote team. You've got people leaving because of the great resignation, all those sorts of things. Um, you're dealing with change in your industry because there's all this disruption. And it's like, guys, you got to give yourself a break sometimes, you know. Sure, you can always do more and you can um, put things in place and be proactive and all those sorts of things and take action. But on the other hand, give yourself a bit of forgiveness as well, which is what you're talking about, you know, because everyone's got constraints. Yeah, I think it's important. I think, you know, the, I, I, I don't forgive myself on exercise. That's yeah. my one thing. I, am, I try and do something that sucks every day because that keeps me going. And it's much harder after three days to get back into the gym if you haven't done it uh, than it is after one day. Definitely. But, you know, I think hopefully coaches listening, young, relatively insecure coaches who do not have the, 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 the wealth of years that, uh, <laughs> that Ben and I have. You just, called me, you just called me a young man a little while ago. Well, mate, we're, we're, we're both over 30. We're done for. We're done for. Yeah, I just, I just, hit, I just hit 42 uh, two weeks ago, actually. So, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah, 42 is the new 22. It I've is. Heard. I agree. Yeah, 100%. I agree. You know, with the yeah. internet, the amount of opportunities we've got, we can do anything. But um, that's true. That's hopefully true. people will think, you know, they'll know that that last phone call of the night, like you used to do, that last one late night phone call, no one's going to notice in the long run if you didn't do that. If you went to bed first or had a bath or went and saw your kids or your partner or called your mum, God forbid. So um, very, I wanted to bring, there was one question I wanted to ask you to kind of, wrap this up and it's actually a lovely segue into it which was you had a blog on your website about all or nothing thinking in leadership oh, yeah. all or nothing yep. leaders and i think a lot of the coaching space is very all or nothing it's like you've got people like tony robbins up the front you have to burn the boats if you want to succeed you've got to give yourself no no option to fail and i think this all or nothing style is a very interesting one it motivates a lot of people but it also really paralyzes a lot of people so all or nothing in your, um, in your opinion, is that a good mindset to have? Uh, no, I'll say that and the, the, where it comes up with my clients is we'll be going through some challenging situation that's going on at work for them and they'll go, well, you know, I can only do this or I can only do that. And that's usually like I can confront them directly and have this really hard conversation or I can avoid it altogether. Or it might be, oh, I can't work on this project because I'm doing my day job. And so they, they go either I can do it completely or I can't do it at all. Or it's like, oh, I'd really like to work you know, part-time, you know, things like, oh, my boss would never let me work less and things like this, right? It's, um, it's really about thinking on the spectrum of, of what's possible rather than going either I can do it, I'm winning or I'm losing, um, you know, either I'm getting a good result and so, or I'm not or someone else is winning and I'm losing. It's more about, okay, can we get to some middle ground? It's just, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's always a bad thing. Like I would say, you know, with Tony Robbins going, you have to burn the boats and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that might be exactly what you need to do to make progress. But often what I find with coaching clients is we come up with different options and we go, okay, what actions could we take here? And we're sort of workshopping them and they'll gravitate to, well, I have to either do this completely or not at all. Mm. And 
so often there's a middle ground where it's like, you know what, you could do it, you know, you could have a chat with someone to arrange so that you can do something part of the time rather than all of the time. Um, a good example is the, is the um, like a, a guy I was working with before was thinking about transitioning from his leadership career into something else, you know, into teaching. And he was sort of thinking of all or nothing, like, oh, I'd have to quit my job and study to be a teacher. Um, and that's going to be hugely stressful because I don't have the income and blah, 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 while I'm getting qualified. And he, he jumped to that right. or, or stay as I am now and doing my leadership role, which, you know, he didn't hate it or anything and that was fine. But I'm thinking, well, hold on a minute. Like you, he's been there a long time. He could negotiate with the boss and go, hey, can I do, you know, one day a week? Can I work one day less a week so I can train for my teaching scholarship, whatever it is? Mm. Um, so there's those sorts of things that are usually in the middle ground, whereas sometimes we get caught up with go yes or no. And then, you know, we're, we're sort of stuck. We, you, because mm. on, on each side of the spectrum is often the most, um, the most daunting, or the biggest consequences. Either I'm all in and I cause all this sort of trouble for myself or for other people, or I'm not doing anything at all. And then I'm holding myself back because I'm not taking action. I, I just think there's a, there's a spectrum in the middle. That's what I was getting at with that, with that article. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you answered that way. Cause I, I worded the question really poorly. Is it a good thing? You know, cause good thing, bad thing is probably never really very effective to put those labels on. And well, so it's typical <laughs> all yeah. or nothing, right? It's yeah. You, you, you answered that very effectively. So thank you for that. And I suppose, um, do you think that's an impatience thing? Do you think that comes from impatience that I can only do this or that people don't even think about going slowly one day a week rather than seven? Uh, I think it's, it can be impatience or it could be, uh, it can also be a, um, a, an effort to gain clarity. Like if I know, if I know you got two options, then I can go, okay, I've only got two options. That's fine. And so then I can go, well, that option's too hard because it's all in. So I'm going to do nothing and take the nothing option. Uh, I think it's a it's an effort to to gain certainty over their environment, particularly you know this this the world we're in at the moment is quite uncertain. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, and I think sometimes people want to limit their choices, and so they gravitate to a couple of choices which are easy to decide about. Whereas in the middle is a bit of work involved, and you might have to think harder about how that might work. Um, but that itself that's where you can make some good progress as well. Um, so I think that's one part of it, and then some limiting beliefs as well. Things like, oh, my boss would never let me do that or I could never do that with this team member or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, well, that's sort of like the story you're telling yourself. Now let's check whether that's true or is that just something you're putting in place so that you can not take action? Love that. Love love that style of coaching. That's the story you're telling yourself because uh, people don't notice. I haven't actually done that style of coaching in a very long time. So I'm glad I'm going to write that down. So I'd write a few things down during podcasts. So is that the story you're telling yourself? Um, I think we all need to remember that. I need to write down. Yeah, we've, all got, we've all got stories, right? You've got, you know, you've got leadership stories because you were a sous chef and you are in that environment. And I've got leadership stories because I dealt with this situation years ago. And sometimes they can get in the way of what we're doing now mm. just because of something we, we believe from years ago. Yeah, well, one, one thing I learned from, I, I took away my story from the chefing world was that 
you find leaders generally um, give too little, too little praise and too much criticism. And so when something goes wrong, they'll put more energy into yelling about something. Whereas if you do something right, then it's like a nice job, not even a pat on the back. Whereas I believe now, you know, if you, and this is my leadership style now with my team, I hope is that really, really focus on praise when something's done well. And that keeps the motivation going and put far more energy into praising a positive rather than criticizing a negative. Because um, personally, that's what gets me moving faster is when I hear you've done that great. I'd love to see more of that rather than you fucked that right up. Never do that again. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the chef, chef space, I mean, uh, my, my knowledge of, you know, that industry is limited to, you know, books and things that I've read, you know, Anthony Bourdain and those sorts of things, but um, it's, uh, it sounds pretty tough in terms of fast pace for sure. But um, yeah, I completely agree because we all focus on the negative because the consequence of the negative feels much worse to us. Oh, you know, oh, we stuffed up that dish, customer's going to complain, manager's going to get pissed, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's the same in the world, in the working world now. There's this big, there's this big emphasis now on oh, we've got to fail fast. We've all got to fail fast. You know, we've got to embrace failure. And in the reality of companies, I see a lot of a lot of organisations not embracing failure. <laughs> People are still still really scared to fail. But we say, oh yeah, you got to failure is part of learning, and it's all great. But then someone is yelling at you for failing, and that's not reinforcing that message, right? So I, I completely agree. I mean, if you can turn that on its head and go more at the positive space, you'll you'll um, have much better results. Awesome, man! I love that. That's a lovely, lovely sentiment, man. And uh, you've brought to light some very funny aspects of the world we live in. No, everyone says fail fast. Everyone says well-being, but no, no one's really doing it. So, um, if if we got people listening who believe that you might be the right kind of coach for them but they're not quite sure how how would they know that they're the right kind of client for you yeah um, i never do any coaching work that's paid until i do coaching session with that person complimentary basically yeah so best place to go to go to my website and get in contact with me there um and yeah so i do a full coaching session which is completely free uh and the reason being you know do does that person want to work with me? Do they, you know, do they resonate with my coaching style? Because I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, not every coach is for every client either. You have different styles and some people like different yeah. styles better than others. And it's also, you know, would I, do I think I can help that person? And do I want to work with that client as well? So it goes both ways. So that's, that's a big the best one. way to do it. That's a big one. So they'd be coming across to the thoughtful, thoughtfulleader.com, not the thoughtful yep. leader thoughtfulleader.com are you on socials is there a best social media to find you yeah linkedin's probably the main one um yeah. i focus on so either search my name or um my company page is on there as well awesome well we're going to put the links in all our posts about you my, my friend and uh awesome. yeah thank really you. exciting not the conversation i was expecting but a lot of fun man thank you so much for uh <laughs> yeah hopefully you got something out of it 100 100 i i don't understand the i i came to you from linkedin and I saw you on LinkedIn wearing a suit. I was expecting a much more corporate vibe to this conversation. And I don't really mm. know where to go in that conversation. I'm a fish Ooh, out of that's, water. That's interesting because that could be part of my branding that needs a bit of a tweak then, eh? <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, well, thoughtful leader and that kind of thing. It gives it much, you know, softer. But yeah. that is me coming from the outside. I, I have this vision of LinkedIn. You know, I've not used LinkedIn until this year and now I use it 
uh, for a lot of client acquisition. But until this year, I was like, that's where all my friends are trying to get a new yeah. job in HR at KPMG. It's like, it was all white yep. shirts and backgrounds and everyone doing the same pose and that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, I say it's a great platform. I'm really enjoying it. It's a very positive platform, isn't it? It can be, can yes. Be. Um, oh, you know, it's like anything. There's a lot of, it's, yeah, there's a lot of rubbish on there as well you can find. But, yeah. and, and, and sometimes there's a lot of big noting you know, like, oh, I mean, you know, I, I want to show a boast about my new accomplishment. But, you know, in general, I think it's a pretty good platform, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm doing my best to curate my news feed on all these platforms with people who I yeah. like listening to. And, you know, just really ditch people who don't serve my daily narrative because we can't, we can't really uh, avoid the internet when we work on the internet. So that whole thing of just shut your phone off doesn't work great. My screen time is you know, abhorrent. I hate how much screen time I have, but uh, yeah. it also feeds my family. So I can't do anything about it, but that's enough about me. Ben Breely, what an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today, my friend, uh, thoughtful leader. We would definitely plug those links and um, yeah, mate, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thank you so much. I have really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, dude. Well, uh, anyone listening or watching right now or on the replays, thank you so much. We'll be back in a few days time with another episode of coaches to the moon. I'm Alex Morris. Thank you so much. Much love and peace out. Coaches to the Moon will be back next week. Until then, reach us on Facebook at To The Moon Digital Marketing.